Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Hello. Are you well? Wonderful. Yes, this is my Hawaiian shirt. I was feeling slightly insecure about my shirt this morning. My wife commanded me to wear it. So if you don't like it, speak to her. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. I needed that. Thank you, Maria. Absolute privilege to be here this morning. It is super exciting. And uh, maybe you're wondering why. I mean, I've got like this, like a seat over there and there's a seat over there. Why would these oaks want a double service? I mean, how, Mark just really likes the sound of his own voice. That's actually, and he likes the fact he can put his kids there and other people love them. That's what he actually, that's why he's double servicing. It's not that at all. And actually, we've been, there are many areas in the life of a church. Just to put you into context, there are different areas. There's this space. But then a big space that gets under pressure is the kids' space and takes major heat. And actually, we want to make sure we can host and look after our kids really, really well. And then there's a whole other very important part of a church called the parking lot, which we really don't have one. <laughs> and um, we've had um, some challenges with neighbors and all that. And parking, we've had guys parking at times down by Bayside. So we want to make sure we can really host our city unbelievably well and do that incredible. And one of the ways is to add room to our house. And all we're doing is adding a room. We're not building a whole other house. We're not planting another church. We're adding a room to a house. We're making space in our hearts, something of a, of a statement of faith and belief that God has called us to reach and see people come in. So we're making space in our home. We're making space in our hearts for what God wants to do and that we can really serve the city unbelievably well. Is that all right? Maybe you're questioning why we're doing this. We can fit. It's actually about the fact that we want to see people more. Sometimes what happens on a busy Sunday, this would be an average Sunday, on a busy Sunday, you just can't see people. People are in and out and, and, and it feels like a massive crowd. And one of the values we want to fight for is making sure that we're able to see people and able to engage and say hello at least every, not every week. You probably won't get to every person every week. Otherwise, you're like a super pastor, like Mariette or one of those kind of super pastors in the life of the church. I'm not one of them. I try, but I can't keep up with Mariette. She's got the edge. And, um, but we want to make sure that we do see people, that we are growing, and actually that pe- this isn't just a crowd flowing through. And, but what we're going to ask of, if this is your church and this is important, and actually being part of seeing God doing amazing things and transformations, we have a power hour, or let's call it a power 45 minutes in between the services. I was going to call it happy hour, but that didn't seem to work. It wasn't, a, wasn't the wisest decision. So we haven't got it. We got power hour, which is about quarter to 10 till half past 10 before the new service starts. We want a holy, righteous, chaotic mess in between there. As the two communities come together, gather, we do life together, talk. You'll see your friends. We, we can engage. Kids can have a whole bunch of fun. We're working really hard to make sure that the building can serve us in that regard. But that's all happening in between from about quarter to 10. So if you're coming to the half past 10 service, don't stay for coffee afterwards. Come in between. And we'd love to serve you. And I believe we're going to have free coffee just to get you here in between. There we go. Tyler's excited. Only one. Hello. Are we all right here? Sorry, it feels a little bit like I'm in a crowd. Sorry, if we can just check that out. But this morning, we are doing a little three-part series for three weeks. As we gear up, and it's part of our double servicing, and it's part of what God is doing in the life of the church. But I want to just make sure that we keep the heart of Jesus on the big issues. We can get so caught up in a whole bunch of other issues, but sometimes we can lose the heart of the big issues. And that's why we've called the series All for One. And really it's a statement of the heart 
of Luke 15. I, I could reach, preach the lines. Sorry, I got something in my mouth. Well, that was awkward. <laughs> Act like that didn't happen. I'm like, I've got to get rid of that. Otherwise, it's going to be an awkward preach. It's okay. Everyone okay? I'm okay. We're okay. I'm going to open this and act like nothing happened. I was just thinking, the Jacques and Louise household. Louise is on stage. Those feet are going like this. I mean, they have to, it's like you just can't keep it. Jacques is there with a moon boot, can't move. That must be an interesting household at the moment. Just, but I want, to put a, I want to put something to the values and the DNA of this household. There's something we've said from the beginning, and even when we planted Milneton over two years ago, we made the statement right up front that even if it was for one person, we'll pull into venues where you might just arrive on a Sunday morning and there is a boxing ring. They haven't actually taken the boxing ring down. I actually am doing my last Sunday where I'm doing both services and I'm preaching from a boxing ring, which I find fun, which is going to be fun. But actually, why do that? And we had to sit down and say, it's not actually for masses if one person engages Jesus. If one family gets transformed, if just one person, whether they are 10 years old or 110 years old, whatever their background, whatever their story, if just one person encounters the love and grace of Jesus, it's all worth it. And actually, sometimes when that team have to get there early on a Sunday morning to fix up stories like this, to make sure that we can do church, there's a reminder, actually, we did this just for one. And God has been so, so good. So, so good. And we're looking at this series, and there's this reality that God pulls us in this unbelievably beautiful story of, or actually they're three different stories that pull into one major theme in Luke 15, and God reminds us something of His heart. That actually, the first story, which is, is the lost sheep, is about a ratio of one to a hundred. The next one, the lost shekel, one to ten, and the next one, the lost son, you've got two sons, and it's all for one. And God actually is not about just the hundreds. He's about the ones and the twos. He's about these different numbers, different stories. You see, we sing these amazing songs like, break your heart for what breaks out. Break, break our hearts for what breaks yours. It's a, it's a powerful, powerful line for your heart to be broken. Have you ever sat with someone who's seen chaos and pain? And in the midst of their chaos and pain, your heart begins to break. I've got a little boy, Ben, you've heard about him before. He's, he's highly, highly empathetic. He feels empathy down. He'll literally pick up whatever's going on in the room, gravitate towards the most pain, and feel it, and just start weeping. I mean, we'll, he watches X Factor and weeps. He's that little kid. He's like, why didn't I get through, Dad? Hi, look at them. Anyway, that's, that's my life. And um, we sing songs like, oh, to be like you, to give all I have just to know you. My job as a preacher is not to give you a whole bunch of principles. And the problem sometimes with Luke 15 is we preach it like a principle. 99-1, it's a principle. It's not a principle, it's a heart. It's not a principle for leadership, a principle for shepherding, a principle for doing Christian life. It is the heart of Jesus. And my job as a preacher is not to give you principles. My heart as a preacher is to show you Jesus so you can be captivated by Jesus, so you can be caught up by Jesus. Because your journey as a believer is to be plugged into the vine. As Michael spoke about on Sunday night. To be plugged into the vine. To remain in Him, there is life. To remain in Him, there is abundant life. To abide in Him is to be caught up into who He is. Not just about what He tells us to do. And we get caught. And when you love someone and you fall in love with someone like Jesus, you begin to love what He loves. If you begin to get to know a certain redhead named Gabe Phillips, you find yourself watching football and even wanting to support a team in red who haven't won anything in like decades. 
you like you egging them on. You find yourself like watching Liverpool late at night, going, "Why am I even this team?" And 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 then you find yourself when you have no space for your own kids' clothes, you find yourself bringing French vanilla coffee creamer through customs, like you're smuggling something. Because a certain Reddit asked you, why? Because when you love people and you give your heart to people, you start to fall in love with what they fall in love with. When I fell in love with my wife, it was the first time in my life I've ever ordered a salad. <laughs> ever. I've literally never, ever in my whole life ordered a salad. Even as a side, it wasn't an option. It's not like on the menu. I can't see it. The Lord blocked it out for many years. But I begin to enjoy salad. I eat salad now. I've even had meals where it was just salad. Like seriously, some of you are disbelieving. I promise you it's possible. Dance movies. I've watched every dance movie multiple times. I could tell you the story. Anyway, we're going to move forward. But, um, but I want to speak as we read about Luke 15. It's about lost things. And, and the emotions of someone who's lost, lost things. I, I've had a moment once in this building... In the early days of moving here, we had, we had a couple-week-old baby, Daniel. We had Ben-Ben, who was about two, and then we had Judah. He was about four, and on a, I used to be on the rotation of locking up the building, which means once everyone's left, you walk around, you check everything, all the windows are closed, and it's a long day. You get your early, you're preaching morning, preaching night, do that, and um, I got home, and I was tired. I'd locked up. I checked everywhere, got home, went to the TV lounge, didn't want to wake my wife up, so I went and watched a movie till about 11, you know, mine's still buzzing from Sunday night preach. I go up to the room, brush my teeth, get in bed, kiss my wife goodnight, because obviously I wake her up when I get in bed, she gets very grumpy with that. And then, um, and then I lean over to her, kiss her, and I said, did you tuck Judah in? And there's this moment of complete panic in my heart, as I'm going, where is Judah? And in those few seconds, I've lost him. He's not in his bed. Actually, right now, he's not even in this house. But you can't tell your wife who's been sleeping for an hour and a half that. And then you're racking your brain, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? To remember, as your wife left the church, she told you he's sleeping in the breastfeeding room. So I said to him, I'm just going to go check. Yes, this is a public confession. For any social workers in the house, please go easy. But we live a couple of kilometers away. I put clothes on in haste, and it's nothing mattered. It didn't matter. I didn't lock the back door. It didn't matter that I kicked the dog on the way out by mistake. It didn't matter that the garage door wasn't even properly opened as I began to reverse. I needed to get my boy. I needed to find him. I have every vision of him walking through the building with the alarms going off, cops around, my boy in handcuffs trying to break. I mean, it's like... Every possible vision that could be wrong with this image. And I got you at about half past 11 at night, turned off the alarm to find him sleeping peacefully in the breastfeeding room, still there. Picked him up, took him home, put him in bed. Ken said, is he fine? I said, he's fine. I am literally the best dad in the world. There's those few seconds, whether it's lost for seconds or lost for hours, there's the worst. I did encounter one lady. I won't tell you her name sitting over here somewhere, looking very perturbed in the outside. I said, what's wrong? She said, no, I've lost my purse. I said, I know that feeling. It's okay. <laughs> I, I know you. The, the story the, we're going to read today is about a woman who lost a shekel as well. It's not the first time a lady's lost a shekel. 
Can we read from the Bible? Because some of you don't know what's going on yet. Okay. Luke chapter 15. This is all about Jesus. It says, Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gather around to listen as Jesus taught the people. This raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how this man associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. In response, Jesus gave them this illustration. There was once a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. So the shepherd left the 99 lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness for that one lost lamb. He didn't stop until he finally found it. With exuberant joy, he raised it up and placed it on his shoulders, carrying it back with cheerful delight, kind of like Judah on my shoulders, carrying him back home. Returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and said, let's have a party. I like this guy. Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Jesus continued, in the same way, there will be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents, coming back home and returns to the fold, more so than for all the righteous people who have never strayed away. Jesus gave them another parable. There was once a woman who had 10 valuable silver coins. When she lost one of them, she swept her entire house, diligently searching every corner of her house for that one lost coin. When she finally found it, she gathered all her friends and neighbors for all celebration, telling, for a celebration, telling them, come and celebrate with me. I had lost my precious silver coin, but now I found it. That's the way God responds every time one lost sinner repents and turns to him. He says to all his angels, let's have a joyous celebration for that one who was lost, I have found. These are three parables. Jesus speaks into a context, one and three different stories, but essentially about the joy of when lost things are found. We've all got stories about lost things being found. And we get excited and we tell those stories and we celebrate and we all over Facebook lost the remote that I lost four years ago. Found it in the toy box. I mean, that's my life, basically. If I want toys, I've got to go searching. But it's the joy of heaven over not just lost things, but lost sinners. Those who were destined and designed to be sons and daughters of the living God, who are outside and beyond of that love, God says actually every time one, just one of those comes back and he calls all the angels and everyone in heaven says, come together, we are going to have a party. Why? Because it's dead to life. Because that which was distant from outside of the love of God comes into relationship with the love of a loving God. And Jesus here as his son is representing that love. But I don't think that this story is just for us today. And I don't think this story is just for the lost sheepies out there. I think Jesus is telling this story because he's actually wanting to help the Pharisees. He's wanting to help them. He's actually taking them on a journey. He says there are three lost things, a sheep, a shekel, and a son. And the sheep, just wayward lost and, 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 and innocently lost. A shekel lost through... What do you call it? Bad management placement. Shop drops a coin and it's dark and can't find the coin. I was on the plane the other night and in the middle of the night, everyone's sleeping. They all got their eye patches on and their fancy airport socks. And, and there's that one lady who's lost her cell phone. Anyone met that person on a plane? They're beautiful. 
and they are under people's feet and over people in the aisles. I am going to find my cell phone. Only for the hostess to find it in the seat in front of her where she put it three hours before. But otherwise, it's fine. But this two stories and, and these three stories about something lost that gets found. This is my wedding ring and I love it. It represents an amazing day for us. It's not the everything and not the pinnacle, but I was playing and, and I've lost it. I've lost this one in the sea. I've told you that story, but I lost this one once while playing with friends. I passed a ball and I saw it fly off into a bush. I knew exactly where it was, but I started to search and I couldn't find it. And all the mates went off and they were game drives. I'm in a bush trying to find a wedding ring, not because it's the most valuable wedding ring in the world, but because it's valuable to me. And eventually you find it. And the joy and the relief and the satisfaction of finding it is unbelievable. See, everything or everyone is lost and needs to be found. And when we forget that, when we think that somehow we were not part of this equation, we start losing the heart of Luke 15. And I want to remind us in this three weeks, and I want to tell us what's going on here. Well, it says this amazing statement, many dishonest Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen to Je as Jesus taught the people. That's Jesus, not some other Jesus. Our Jesus. And Jesus is popular around dishonest tax collectors, guys who took money and took too much money and worked for the Romans, the oppressive emperors of the time, and the sinners, those who were separated. They weren't allowed in the synagogue. Unclean, unclean. You stay outside of the synagogue. And Jesus is notorious and popular amongst them. Why? Because he would speak words of truth and he would speak about sin and he would speak about the fact that outside of this journey and outside of the love that you can receive him, there is a journey of death. But in his love and in his presentation and in the way he presented to those and the way he engaged those, there was compassion. There was love. There was, uh, they would not find him challenging and oppressive like the other rulers. He would speak about the toughest things, and yet they felt compelled to be around him all the time. This was not a unique occasion. See, my desire for us as a church is that where people don't feel like, I, I don't want church to be a place where people feel like they don't belong just because they don't believe. Does that make sense? I want to build a church, and I want to build a home, and I want to build a family and I know you do too, where people can walk in here in any state, including the state of not having received the love of Jesus. And actually, they can walk in many, many times like that. You see, part of these sinners, you've got these kind of rich tax collectors. These were wealthy people, the kind of higher economic bracket, demographic, whatever you want to call it. And then you've got the sinners, just those that weren't allowed in. But actually, there are three groups of sinners in this group. There's the Pharisees too. Because actually, Romans tells us, outside of the love of Jesus, outside of blood, every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I want to build a house and I want to build a church where actually people can feel like they belong, even if they don't believe everything that I believe. Is that tolerance? No. I think it's called love. I grew up in a home of parents who passionately love Jesus. And I've got three older sisters and they were all singers, arts and dramas, very loud, very outgoing. They were in all NAPAC, which was Durban plays. They were singers. And in that world, there is a massive community 
called the homosexual community in Durban. And I watched my parents journey this journey. I grew up in a home where most of Durban's prominent singers, actors from the homosexual community who were famous in that space, famous at clubs like 330, famous in that, would be in our home at our dining room table. And I watched my parents, who I knew struggled with some of the ways, pour out the most amazing meals, serve in the most amazing ways, love. And when people's lives fell apart, I watched my mother and father step into situations that I knew confronted some of their culture, some of their thinking, some of their ways. I knew that. I know that even now. And yet I remember back now and I think how gracious of them. But here's the thing. It's only because they had received a grace that was bigger. It's only because they had received the love. Now, maybe you're really sweating with that image and you're really sweating and it's irresponsible and it's a whole bunch of things. Now, I think leaving 99% of your flock, your income, your future, I think leaving 99% of them and going after one is irresponsible and reckless. And yet that's what Jesus says. And I'm pushing us to a story I want to call us because I think the challenge of being a long-time Christian is it becomes part of our culture. And we find it easy to step into those ways and we forget that it was grace alone that taught us those ways. 2 Titus speaks to us and challenges us this. And I want to get that scripture because it says this. We forget that it was the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's the grace of God and the grace of God alone that teaches us. And actually, 2 Peter 3 says, actually, you've got to grow in this grace. You've got to go on a journey of growing in this grace. And like anything, we can step into, and I've done it, where I take far too much credit. Oh, God, I used to be such a rebel. I used to love doing naughty things, which is true. Some of you nodding, you're like, you know me. I know. Oh, we believe you don't need to tell us. But then you get a little bit older and you, and you get older and you get a little wiser, which are just natural older and wisdom and you, you fall into rhythms of grace. But they're still rhythms of His grace in my life. And I've got to remember, it's still the rhythms of His grace in my life that keep pulling me into His story. And when I find any pride or any arrogance in that, I forget that it's His grace that pulls and I forget that I'm called to extend that same grace. I'm called to pour out that love. And I'm not asking you to venture into a story, and even that story might be not one you can enter into, but there was a grace that was a rhythm given to my family to enter into that world, to such a point that when I ministered in Durban about a year ago, a very, very prominent man in Durban and in that world, actually in South Africa, who is an outspoken homosexual man. I've known him most of my life. And he knows I'm a preacher. And I was preaching, I had preached twice in the morning, I was preaching in the evening, I had a gap of about an hour in between, I got a phone call from my sister, I said, Mark, this man's called you. I said, how does he even know I'm here? No, he saw something on Facebook. He heard you were here, and his mother's not well. He's asked, will you come and pray for his mother? I left everything. The church we were visiting, the leaders we were supposed to meet. Why? Because Jesus loves that man, and Jesus loves his, his mother, and Jesus loved his story. And we sat together as next to his mother who was not well. And we prayed. And he sat next to me. I said, I'm not traveling all here. We started praying and he stood on the other side of the room. I said, I'm telling you, I'm not traveling all the way here inconveniencing myself. But you sit on the other side of the room. You come and sit here with me. Why? Because of the grace that I've received. 
I really didn't plan to tell you any of those stories. I want to tell you about Jesus. Number one, he loved the worst. Notorious, notorious thieves and sinners. He loved them. Maybe this is a stretch for you, but John 3.16 can't just be a mantra. For God so loved the world, and yet I've grown up in a church world that says hate the world and love the church. And then the greatest scripture that I know in the Bible says, for God so loved the world. I don't get to choose which part. And I think when we extend ourselves and we open ourselves to what Jesus will do in our lives, you will be amazed at to what your heart and who your heart could fall in love with. I loved leading a life group for 12 years. On the couch, it used to be red, then it became brown. And now we've actually given it away. That same couch, because eventually it died. But, um, but that couch, that was a red couch for years. I saw racism dealt with on that couch. I saw prejudices of all kinds dealt with on that couch. I saw marriages restored that were irrevo- irrevocably changeable on that couch changed. By the grace and the love of Jesus on that couch. I'm grateful to God for that couch. And what He would do when we would open up our hearts... I've had people say the most amazing things to me. Accusations on that couch. And I'm amazed how the grace of God can get in here and free up a heart that should get knotted. Why? Because Jesus loved the worst of them. And sometimes we can get into a rhythm, well, we're just going to pick the low-hanging fruit. My evangelist strategy, low-hanging fruit. Well, there's an easy one. I mean, they're basically praying in tongues. They just don't know what it is yet. They pretty much want to come to church. They're like standing outside a quarter to nine going, I should be going somewhere. The Lord has shown me an open door. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. That becomes an easy strategy. I want to tell you that, and I've heard statements like, well, they just don't seem ripe and ready for the gospel yet. I would tell you that the good news of the gospel is always ripe and ready. I want to tell you that people always want good news, and you have a story to tell. And maybe your story isn't, I was the worst of them. Maybe your story is, he's just the best of them. Then tell that story. And God keeps calling us and challenging us. And how does Jesus respond to the accusation of the religious in the day? In response, Jesus gives them an illustration. See, when you're a little bit slow at getting an image, Jesus paints pictures. Not just once, three times. Three uses a sheepy and a shekel and a son. So maybe you need the image because I did. There was once a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered off and was lost. Let's stop there. Because to me, in my years of business studies, 1%, 99%. Remember, these are not just sheep. He didn't like love sheep, so he had sheep. No, this was his income. This was his future. This was his livelihood of the shepherd. And he obviously makes the wise choice. Yeah, I'll leave that one. I'm going to make sure I secure my investment. Because 1%. No, it says, So the shepherd left the 99 lands out in the open field and searched in the wilderness for that one last lamb. See, there was another situation in Luke 5. Jesus engages Luke, Levi, and says, Come, follow me. And he begins to follow him. It says, Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house in Luke chapter 5, and a large crowd of tax collectors are... Oh, The same dodgy guys, stealing money from people, charging way too much tax, working for an immoral government, and others, just others, it's a big category, others who were eating with them. 
But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These are tough scriptures, eh? They're tough. I love comfort. I love feeling safe. I love a whole bunch of stuff. I love keeping safe environments. We all do. We're designed to do it. Make sure my kids are safe. Make sure my world is safe. Make sure I don't bring people in. So we live in a world where I bring people into my world who can benefit me. It's always about aspiration. I want to hang out with those guys and I want to hang out with those guys and those guys don't really want to hang out with you. They want to hang out with those guys and you have a whole bunch of relationships that run on a currency that's not Jesus. And he's challenging us and I'm telling you when the church, see the church is designed to be a hospital. But I had this thought this morning, so run with me till you think about it. Just listen to the whole one. It's not designed to be a hospital to do cosmetic surgery to Christians so they can feel better about themselves. The church is designed to be a hospital that takes dead and dying people and brings them to life and reveals to them that life. It's got to be more. It's got to be more. Thank you, Southern Baptist. But it can't just be, let's hang on, let's fix each other the whole time and make sure that when we get to heaven, we are so much like Jesus. Look at me. I'm so gracious and kind and loving. Look at me, Jesus. The church did good. Because, well, in one second, millisecond in my presence, that would have happened. He said, those are not the accolades. Who's with you? Well, look at them and they're just like me. Although none of you are wearing Hawaiian shirts this morning, I just might add. But they just like me. No, they look the same background. I just, I just had the strategy. I want to pick the low-lying fruit in my life. You know those guys I hung around for 20 years. I just, I worked on them for 25 years. And then one day they came to me and said, when are you going to preach the gospel? I thought, this is an open door. One of the most challenging moments for me was when a friend of mine got saved. And I worked with him for two years in our early days of workforce. And it was those days where you worked hard and you played hard and a whole bunch of stuff came with that. And he was in charge of the budget to play hard because he was chaos. And then one day he came to me and said, but why didn't you tell me about Jesus? And I'm going, I, I was waiting for an opportunity. You, you didn't seem ready. You know who told him? Someone who got saved two weeks before. I'd been saved most of my life. Who should have told him? The gospel doesn't leave us comfortable. It doesn't say who you choose. Well, that guy's definitely not low-hanging fruit. Look, he's hammered four nights of the week. Some of you are like, that was a good week for me back in the day. <laughs> God says, I, I choose, not you. The worst of them. Second of all, Jesus' persistence said he didn't stop until he finally found it. What? The lost sheep. Not a truth, not, not a, a principle, the lost sheep. He didn't stop. He leaves the 99. Again, my thoughts would be, that's, there's the song, Reckless Love, which we've sung. I didn't understand it. I didn't kind of get it at first. Like, why? And then you think about the 99 and the one, it seems reckless. And God pulls us into a story See, we're in the story. We're the sheep. And sheep are not clever. They just follow. Sheep get into bad rhythms. If sheep fall over, they're finished. Like they need a shepherd to pick them up. That's why Psalm 23 
such an amazing, amazing, amazing scripture. But God pulls us into the story and says, actually, even though they're going to do foolish things sometimes, even though they're going to walk down paths they know they shouldn't, even though they leave the flock and the safety of the flock, See, he's not dealing with a rebellious sheep here. He's dealing with someone who's wandered away. Understand this, it happens. And I've sat with leaders who beat their fist on a table sometimes over the years and years of ministry and say, why did they wander away? No, no, let's just go to the Bible and remind it. Sometimes it happens. I'm not justifying it. I'm not trying to make less of it. But sometimes it happens. Let's see who Jesus is. No, the Jesus is persistent. And sometimes it's just a message, it's just a call, and sometimes we drop short and we don't always do it. And sometimes we think that person should be shepherding us, and all of a sudden someone else comes into our world. And we realize, Jesus, you're very kind. You're ultimately our shepherd. I want to say, Jesus, point number three, is the shepherd who carries those in need. It says, with exuberant joy, he raised it up and placed it on his shoulders, carrying it back with cheerful delight. You've got to know, that is the picture of me picking up Judah in the best reading room at 11.30 at night going, I've saved our family, our life, our future. I once forgot him in the car. Yes, you're going to think I'm the worst parent in the world. Organized events in Durban for 800 pastors. I was exhausted and um, went to go sign off something. And about 20 minutes into the meeting with some very big manos from the Durban ICC, I realized I've left my kid in the backseat of the car. I didn't tell them that. I just ran. I didn't care that they weren't ready for me to run out the room. I didn't care we were in the middle of a conversation. I didn't care that actually that might have implications too. What I cared about my boy was in the car and I needed to get to him. There's an urgency in the gospel that I feel like God is calling us at the time. Seven billion people, seven point something billion people in our world. I watch IPL cricket. 1.4 billion people in India worshiping dead gods who cannot save them, who cannot heal them, who cannot bring them life, who cannot give them eternity, who cannot give them hope. Saying, God, what are you doing in us today in the middle of comfort, suburbia, Cape Town, that you could birth something that would grip my heart, that would see the world changed? 105 people die every minute. 105 people every minute. It's a lot of people. See, we said goodbye to Renee this week, who's been a part of this community for 14 years. And there's grieving and there's pain. But you know what there's not? Eternal loss. So I'm going to spend eternity with Renee, and she's going to have a full head of hair, shining and glistening. And Jesus is going to be pouring his favor and his grace over her. So I don't live with an eternal loss mentality. Because she's forever saved. Why? Because Jesus kept going after her. And I want to tell you that part of this story that's got to come to us is he carries those in need. And this, generally, a sheep that's wandered off is not in its best condition. He hasn't been to the barber and had a good look. He hasn't had a hair wash. He's dirty. He's fallen down banks. He's smelly because he's been away from his mates to clean them. That's what that sheep looks like. Jesus says, actually, this shepherd takes that sheep and puts it over his shoulders. And with exuberant joy. Here's what I realized after now 12 years of ministry, people don't come to church like Woolworth's chickens. Think about it. It's a deep theological point. <laughs> so if you've had a Woolworth's chicken, which doesn't cost what it used to, but if you've had a Woolworth's chicken, you know it comes plucked. All the things you don't want to eat are taken out. Well, I don't want to eat. It's 
perfectly moist. It's gone in that machine that's done it perfectly. And it's in for the perfect amount of time. It's had the perfect amount of basting. You, you touch it with a butter knife and the wing just goes, woof. Submits to your authority in that moment. It's amazing. Woolworth's chickens are awesome. And when you're hungry, you don't want to go to a hairy little pluck, 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 chaka, thing, put it, and it takes like seven hours. Someone else has done all of that for you, and you get a Woolworth's chicken. I wish people arrived at church like Woolworth's chickens. And the thing is, I forget sometimes that I didn't come to church like a Woolworth's chicken. It's a really bad statement. This is not a theological point at all. But it might be a helpful image if you've ever bought a Woolworth's chicken. I've had very few irritating Woolworth's chickens. Sometimes you get irritating sheep. Is that honest? Is that all right? Jesus says, actually, I'm going to put them with all the burrs in their hair and all the dirt and all the smell and their dehydrated ratio because they've been running and they're probably flustered. I'm going to put them over money. Please remember, Jesus is your number one shepherd. There are under shepherds and life group leaders and pastors, but, but our first point of call, the one we run to, and our number one shepherd is Jesus. And he's saying, I'm revealing myself to you. And actually, I don't want to just leave you there. I want you to become like me. Oh, but, but I'm still dealing with my stuff. No, are you walking? And has my grace impacted your life? Start picking up broken sheep. And then the last point, which has to be the best, Jesus loved celebrations. Returning home, he called all his friends and neighbors together and said, let's have a party. Come and celebrate with me on the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Think about it again. One lost sheep wandered off, naughty sheepy. What does this shepherd do? Actually, we're going to have a party. Come, all my mates. And the lady who loses her shekel because she's been searching and, and deep down inside of, the, of her house, it's dark and there's holes in the wooden slats and the shekel falls. So she finds, says, all her neighbors and all her friends, come and celebrate. Why, when people give their lives on a Sunday, do we take a moment and say, let us celebrate. Why? Because we worship a king who parties when people come home. When dead come to life, we celebrate. I have not witnessed a dead person come to life. I want to because my Bible speaks about it. But I'll keep praying for that. But I'm telling you, if we stood here today and this was a funeral and there was a dead person in that casket and they stood up, do you think we would go, mm, mm, mm. get back, back? That only happens in Leon Schuster. In real life, you are caught up into something that is not of this world. You are pulled into a bigger story. And when one soul, if we're, why, I hate the cricket clap. You know, they're like the no noise making. It looks like I'm clapping, but I'm not really clapping. They have English cricket clap. Why do we celebrate when people take their next steps in Jesus? But why should we celebrate even more when people come out of darkness and into light and into from death into life? Why? Because heaven is roaring with a party. And we're just joining the party. It's not our party. It's his. He paid the way. And he says, I spilled my blood for that one. Will you remember I did it for you? Well, you remember there was a party when you came. Oh, but it's like 30 years ago, and I don't remember, and I'm walking in these rhythms of grace. No, you've just fallen into the rhythms I gave you. You're just someone I plucked out of darkness, pulled into a glorious life. Jesus is trying to help the Pharisees. How is he helping them? He's trying to show them the value of one sheep, one shekel. 
and one son. Just one. See, Pharisees, religion. But when you encounter Jesus, you encounter love. Why can you sit with the worst of the worst? Now, I'm not talking, there's wisdom in this. Please understand, there's wisdom in this. There's glorious wisdom in this. Don't go into environments that right now you are still broken and walking and finding. No, I'm talking, find healing, find wholeness, but then don't stay there forever. Go out again. You're a missionary with a glorious gospel. When they encounter Jesus, they encounter love. When they encountered the Pharisees, they encountered law. When Jesus, they encountered the beautiful God's righteousness God gave them. When they encountered the Pharisees, they got told to stay out. When they encountered Jesus, he told them to come close. See, religion has no good news to offer. The gospel literally means the good news. And I want to give you one image, and then I'm, can I ask the band to come up, please? We were watching Son of God yesterday with my boys on Friday night. It's a movie about Jesus, the life of Jesus. It's quite graphic. Actually, you forget some of those stories and how graphic they were. And they showed the moment where Jesus pulls his disciples together and says, actually, this is the last meal we're going to have together. Breaks bread with Judas. And the Bible says, In John chapter 13, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a base and began to wash his disciples' feet. Remember the disciples walked away from Jesus. They failed him. And one of the things Jesus would have worn as a teacher and what the teachers would have worn was this kind of prayer shawl that they had. And I don't know for sure that he had it on that night, but many commentaries and historians would say he probably would have been wearing one of those. And it says, he takes that off. And what teachers would have worn, they had these tassels at the end of their prayer shawls, the robes. They had these tassels and the tassels would have had all these knots in them, 613 knots. Each of those knots represented one of the laws that were given. Each of the knots were one of the things that overcome and had to journey and had to remain holy and righteous. Signs to the world that we are those who walk different. We make different stories, an outward sign of something that hopefully has taken place inwardly. And Jesus would have worn this test and there would have been this moment where he takes that robe off. He puts it aside. And he calls these sinners, disciples, guys he spent time with. You can't tell me that Simon, in his fisherman way, would have lost all his fisherman ways overnight. It's like, follow me, boom, I'm no longer a dirty fisherman with a dirty mouth. I think they're walking along the road and sometimes Simon's letting a little swear word out. I'm just, is that okay? Is that too real? I think some of them would have, and, and Luke, and, and, and well, let's go with one of the text directors, Levi. I think he would have seen a deal and tried to undercut the guy for the price, for the food. We know Judas tried. 
And he says, actually, you're going to follow me. You're going to spend time with me. I'm going to meal with you. I'm going to say, I'm going to show you miracles, even though you're not going to get it. I'm going to do that for three years. Not three hours, three days, three minutes, three opportunities. No, three years, we're going to walk together. And this robe that signifies all of his righteousness, perfect in every way, he takes off, lays it aside, and washes their feet. Why? Because what the cross did, this is all of the righteousness of Jesus. On the cross, he laid aside. So that sinners like you and I could receive the reckless love of Jesus that places his righteousness on someone who's had a bad mouth at times, who's thought the worst thoughts at times, who's been arrogant at times, who's been strong with his wife at times, who shouted at his kids at times. who's protected and self-protected at times. Then I've got to come back to who is Jesus. And so do you, so man. Church is not about, well, let's get the principles of Christianity. Luke 15 is not about the principles of Jesus. Luke 15 is about the heart of Jesus. It changes everything. So we don't hide away from the world. We don't hide between behind the four walls of the church. We don't self-protect at every corner. Why? Because I have a Savior who is greater. I have a King who is mightier. I have a healer who is stronger. And He's revealed Himself to me and He's pulled me into a story. He says, I just want you to walk in my rhythms. And my job is just to say, you've been so, so good. And then you meet someone. Not low-hanging fruit, maybe. I heard a story from a guy called Lentz. Actually, it wasn't from him. It was a guy preaching about him. He said, I went to this fancy church in New York, Hillsong, New York, pumping, pumping church. They have six services on a Sunday. And this guy was a visiting preacher, and he preached the first two sermons. And then um, Carl Lenz came to him, said, you know what, Dino? I'm actually not going to be at the next service. He says, what do you mean? I've come to preach in your church. It's pretty rude for you to leave. He said, no, no, let me tell you. He says, I was walking yesterday, and there's a notorious drug dealer in our area downtown New York and I began to talk to him and he told me they're playing basketball at this time around the corner so I brought my basketball kit to church and you're going to be okay you're going to preach and I'm going to leave you here I'm going to go play basketball with a notorious drug dealer and then I'm going to come back and I'll shower and I'll be here for the fourth service but you'll be okay I'm going hey God I've made my world too important sometimes I've made my things too important to protect sometimes, my reputation. Now there's wisdom, but there's a God who loved you so much that he took off his righteousness, laid it aside, went to a cross, got whipped and beaten so that you could walk free. And then he pulls you into a story, says, I'm going to reveal to you the rhythms of my grace and you're going to grow in that grace. Don't get proud or arrogant in that place. Don't get comfortable in that place. Don't live for eternity. Seven billion people in your world. Many, many, many of them are hurting, broken. And I didn't just pull you out to have you for eternity one day. I pulled you out to pull you into my story so you can share the good news that I'm alive, that I paid the highest price 
that my blood washed you clean and will wash anyone who comes close clean. And that I want them close. Today's preach is, a, is it's not about an action point. Today's preach is about your heart and my heart. You got prejudice in your heart? So, man. Unfortunately, at times I've realized I have too. Smallnesses. You got limitations in your heart as to who you think you can impact? Me too. Let me tell you about the reckless love of Jesus. It changes everything. Will you open up your heart to the worst of them? Will you chase them persistently? Will you put them on your backs and carry them? And will you throw a party when the blood of Jesus washes them? Will you stand with me? I'm going to make my way to Milnerton just for the last week for double service next week. We've got a bit of time. And I, this series is not about evangelism strategy for church. Such a small, small picture of Luke 15. This series is not about who you're going to invite. Let's do a who's coming to lunch at church and force people into different homes. If our hearts aren't open, if I forget the grace that I've received, nothing will change. But when I remember, I've been washed. When you remember you've been washed, you can't help but tell the story. I've never met someone. See, I've, I prayed for a guy who got healed. He was deaf and he got healed once. You can't stop telling those stories and he can't stop. And the story will just go. And Jesus would tell people, don't tell you, but they would tell everyone. This is about Jesus. Come close to him. Can you close your eyes just for a second? Come close to him even now. Repent if you have to. I'll never engage those people, God. Maybe there's a person you drive past on your way to work and you, you just, maybe they're just too darn rich. How could I ever impact them? Maybe they didn't greet you. Maybe your kids didn't get on. Maybe they're from a different race, a different background, a different nation, speak a different language. No, come back to Jesus. Remain in Him. Remain in Him. Chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I don't deserve it, I don't deserve it. Only gives yourself to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless. Can we worship Jesus now? Will you allow him to move your hearts this morning? Don't worry about the words if you don't know them. Spirit of God, reveal Jesus to us this morning. shadow he won't light up mountain he won't climb up coming after you 
There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after you. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after you. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after you. There's no shadow you won't tell the story unless you receive the story that's what the gospel is it's a love received that's given away it's a grace received it's a rhythm given if you are here this morning and you aren't walking in the rhythms of this grace don't start looking to a principle if i just do those things now principles won't lead to life they'll lead to death they'll lead to more effort and more energy and more burnt out reality of white knuckled christianity where more christians are holding on than enjoying the life that god gives if you haven't received the life of Jesus this morning, I'd love to give you an opportunity. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to share this moment, and we would love to celebrate with you. Is that all right? If you are far from God right now, maybe you've walked with Him before, but you know that you are far, far, far from Him. Or maybe you've never walked with Him before. Maybe it's been something that's good for someone else who needs Him. I'd love to pray with you this morning, even if just for the one just for the one. If you're the one today, will you raise your hand? I'd love to pray with you this morning. Is there anyone here today? Anyone far from God? I'd love to pray with you now. our hands to Jesus for one last time. Jesus, we praise you, we glorify you, we worship you and we adore you, and we give you praise this morning. Be exalted, mighty King. I pray, God, every heart captivated by your love, not the principle or the passion of a preacher. I pray Luke 15 would get deep down in our souls and alter us forever. I pray our prejudices would melt away. I pray our smallnesses would become less and less and less as your glory becomes more and more and more. And I pray, God, change us forever as a people. Call us to more forever as a people. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you.